welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. On April 12, 1963, Good Friday, Dr. Martin Luther King and several others were arrested and jailed in Birmingham, Alabama for violating a court injunction issued against the civil rights protests he and others led. While locked up, Dr. King wrote his deeply powerful letter from Birmingham Jail. Murray Lee, senior pastor of Cahaba Park Church in Birmingham, Alabama, continues the series Radical Love with this message entitled Christ, Our Only Hope for Peace, which covers Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Thank you for joining us today. Today marks the beginning of our 40th year as a church, and so as we as we launch into this 40th, many of you know if you've been around here long, uh, we work in five-year increments and we lay vision out for five years and we start that long before. And uh, so we have one more year until we launch this next five years. And we come up with several initiatives and we come up with these a year plus beforehand so we can start preparing and working. One of those initiatives is what we're calling radical love. We're thinking, how do we show love in this community and beyond in such an unusual way that it marks who we really are? We're disciples of Christ. And so one of the things we decided to do, let's use our Young Leaders series. As we do every year, four weeks, young leaders from all over the country we bring in and let them speak to us. And this year we said, why not take this subject matter, radical love? And you tell us from your younger perspective from God's word you teach us what does it mean to show radical love and so that's what you're going to hear now as uh, Murray Lee our teacher from Birmingham Cahaba Park Church in Birmingham great ministry one of the great young leaders I'll tell you I've I've got a personal relationship with this man we've been um, I wish I had time to tell you if you will look in your bulletin and you can read some of the detail about his background I'm not going to take the time to do that now I want to pray now that God would prepare our hearts for one step further in the thought of radical love let's pray together father in heaven thank you for Murray and uh, the great way you're using him and uh, such a great church there in in Birmingham area we pray, God, that you would uh, use his teaching now to confront our hearts and minds with the truth of radical love, and that we might search our hearts and invite you to use us to be those who do the radical love. So thank you for this time. Bless, we pray, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Thank you. It's a, it is a joy to be here. Let's turn to Luke 19 in our Bibles. I know that's what you want to hear. Luke 19, we'll be looking at verses 41 through 44, Luke 19. The train groaned heavily on the tracks as it roared past a section of old row houses. Long since abandoned, these houses bore all the signs of intense poverty. Broken windows, slats curled like paper been into the sun too long, obscene words painted on the sign in drips of spray paint, doors hanging off their hinges, you could smell them before you saw them. I went to go see this place where God was at work 
a number of years ago, it's about two hours north of where I live and minister in Birmingham, Alabama, and I saw this place where one man at a large suburban church 20 minutes away had driven through this town and met some of the impossibly impoverished people. And he developed a relationship with them. And he went back to his home church and he brought his senior pastor to the place and he brought him into this one house that formed the end of the row houses. And the pastor said when he came in, the smell of poverty just overwhelmed him. It was so much. He said, I can't go in. He says, you must come in. He says, I can't do it. He says, you must do it. And so they went in and kicked a mattress out of the way as cockroaches scurried to find another cover. And he said, pointing at the couch, pockmarked with cigarette burns, sit down. No. To his boss again, sit down. No. Sit down and smell what it's like here while we practice our religion there. Luke describes a scene of celebration in chapter 19 of his gospel. But one man isn't celebrating. One man is weeping because the practice of religion won't cover up the stench of sin. Let's look together at our Bibles. Luke 19, beginning in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a, her- a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, Palm Sunday passages that cause us to pause and ask ourselves about our own practice of religion are important for us to consider. I pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit so that what we would hear and know and do would bring great glory to the King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Words pinned from a cell in the Birmingham jail by Dr. King. 
I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million black brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that has been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her little eyes when she's told that Funtown is closed to colored children. And see the de depressing clouds of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky. And see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness toward white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son asking an agonizing pathos, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? Birmingham is probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Its ugly record of police brutality is known in every section of this country. Its unjust treatment of black people in the courts is a notorious reality. There have been more unsolved bombings of homes and churches in Birmingham than any other city in this nation. These are the hard, brutal, and unbelievable facts. He wrote those words about my city because they're true. And maybe the worst part was that he wrote those words about my city to a bunch of white clergymen who said, wait. How can a city that is so religious miss it so completely? How can a city that claims to love the Lord miss it so completely? It's a question that I've asked our people, and it's a question that I'll ask us this evening. How can a city that is filled with churches miss the picture? It's not my question necessarily, but it seems to be the question that's on Jesus' lips in Luke chapter 19 when he's cresting over the hill and he sees the city and he begins to weep. And he says, you know, the practice of religion won't cover up the stench of sin. How can a city that is so very religious miss it so utterly, miss it so completely? And yet, in the midst of a, of a hard passage, we've got a great glimpse of gospel hope, and it's in the person 
of Jesus Christ. Friends, the King is our only hope for peace. As we think to think about this, what it means to have radical love, as we think what it means to love other people in a way that Christ loves them, as we think, think of what, what it means to break down those barriers and to reach other people and to, and to pursue people as God would pursue them, we need to recognize that our only hope for that kind of peace, our only hope for that kind of love is Christ. And yet, as soon as we say that, we, we also need to say, well, if that's true, if it's true that Christ is our only hope for peace, then, then there's actually some rejoicing that needs to happen. And you say, well, the first part of your sermon doesn't really sound like a whole lot of rejoicing. But there's rejoicing that happens in this passage, and it's good. You know, in, in, the, in the verses that have come before, it says that they're, they're coming upon Bethany and Bethpage, which is a suburb about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And as they're coming to it, Jesus gives instructions to go and find a colt and untie it and bring it to him. And as they're coming down, it's the time of the Passover, Passover remember? And so crowds of people are coming down, swelling the city of Jerusalem to many times its original size. And as they're coming down in throngs, they would have seen Jesus, they would have known about him, his reputation would have certainly preceded him, and maybe seeing him on a cult, they would have tied together in their mind the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 about the Messiah coming to them on a cult, on the foal of a donkey. They might have said, this is he, and so they began to praise him, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Now, we need to understand that these same people that say, Hosanna and glory to God in the highest are in just a few days going to be the same ones shouting, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. Because they wanted a man that was going to set them free from this political oppression, a man that was going to rid them of the Romans, a man that was going to be done with it, to kick them out, to get rid of it. Let's be done. Let's be our own people. Let's be our own nation. But before we criticize them, they were doing something really right, even in their ignorance. Friends, Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. It's worthy of rejoicing in. And I think sometimes it's tempting to kind of hold back on the rejoicing until all of the things, all of the problems, all of the situations in our lives sort of get sorted out, until our theology is sort of squared away until our home lives are, are squared away, until this problem of, of, of hatred of people of different colors is squared away, until we can break down those barriers and, and live as the people of God, we'll, we'll rejoice then. But friends, there's, there, there are things in this world that God is doing that are worthy of rejoicing. I believe that there's a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blowing around our country. I really do. And you say, how can you believe that? When so many bad things are happening, because when the culture gets the darkest, you know what starts to shine the brightest? The church of God and his people. Even as we were talking some months ago about this series and sharing together on a conference call, what would we talk about? What is on our hearts? It was not a coincidence that this, this theme of, of, of loving radically was on every single person's heart, including the teaching team here as well. There's there's rejoicing to do. But there's also repenting too. The people of, uh, of Jerusalem, as Jesus crests the hill of the city, it says that he, he, he gets a glimpse of it. 
And it says, the text says he begins to weep. That word for weep is the word for wail. It's ugly crying. And the same, we just have to understand it for a moment. Everybody is happy. Everybody is celebrating. It's, it's not just family time, but it's family time for Israel. It's Israel's prime time because the Savior's here and he's riding in and he's going to make all things right. And the only person in the crowd that's not celebrating is Jesus. And he's weeping. Why is he, why is he weeping? Because a city that's so religious has missed it completely. Would that you, only you, Jerusalem, have known the things that make for peace. That's the name. That's what Jerusalem actually means. City of peace. Why did they miss it? I think that's an important question for us to ask for ourselves, for our own hearts. Why did they miss it so? Uh, Two things. The first reason is they were too busy with life to see the person that gives them life. They were too busy surviving. They were too busy keeping their, their heads above water. They were too busy doing all the right things to stay out of the Romans' way. They were too busy going about their, their, their jobs and their family lives. They were too busy, and they just missed it. I wonder if that's, that's, if that's like you. I wonder if you're like me, that you've got a routine and you get up early and you, maybe you go exercise and you come back and you have breakfast and uh, kids off to school or no kids and so you're, you're, you're looking at the news and you're off to work and, and you're back from work and it's dinner time and it's, you know, and it's shower time for the kids and it's story time for the kids and they go to bed and you sit down and you're like, <gasps> you know? and all you want to do is go to bed and you just miss it. And you're too busy. And you don't have time. But the second reason I think that we miss it is scarier than the first one. It's not just that we don't have time. But I think it's because sometimes we're too religious. The people in Jerusalem were way too busy doing all the right things that they missed the right person. They're too busy going to the temple. They're too busy offering their sacrifices. They're too busy bringing their tithes. They're too busy memorizing the, the, the scriptures. They were too busy doing the right things that they missed the person of God and the heart of the king. I had an experience uh, recently that really revealed um, my own sin in that way. Um, called a gathering together of a number of people from around Birmingham that uh, are seeking to uh, really strive to make this city better. It was a group of men and women of all different ethnic backgrounds and uh, from different churches and denominations. And as we were talking, I sort of laid out my, my vision for them. Folks, here's what I see as a fresh wind of the spirits blowing through our city. I see a, I see a new vision forming for us to be able to have in our own homes, for our own neighbors, for, for our own co-workers. And as we have this new vision for our new city, we begin to develop new relationships. And as those relationships are across uh, racial boundaries that are so strong in our town, 
then new friendships begin to form. As those new relationships form, then new leaders are raised up. And as new leaders are raised up, new churches are planted, and old churches are strengthened, and a city, a new city kind of takes place. And one of my dearest brothers in the room, who's this gigantic guy, said, you know, sort of crushing the little plastic chair that he was in, said, amen. But brother, I got to tell you about my past. You've never asked me. And he told me stories of the ways he was treated because of the pigmentation of his skin that made me weep. And it made me realize that indifference to racism is just as evil as racism itself. There's a repenting that I had to do because I... I didn't know those things about my brother. I was too busy with my own right things that I missed the heart of the king. Why would we miss the heart of the king? I think because he doesn't really look like the person we expect him to look like. You know? I mean, if you look back at the text, this, this, this guy, the king, he's coming, on a, he's coming on a donkey, not some great war horse, and he's coming to die. He's not coming like a, like, a, like a conquering king would come into a city where all of the city rushes out to meet him and he, and he distributes the, the spoils of war. No, no, this king is coming broken to die and if you notice all the way back in verse 33 which I didn't read for you but if you notice in verse 33 it says that that the, the donkey that they get is the owners say to the disciples what are you doing now that that word owners is plural for a purpose it means that that donkey was owned by a number of people rich people don't share animals folks that's a poor man's animal shared by a number of families. This Jesus isn't anything like we expect. He's a radical kind of a guy. And he's taking all of our perceptions. I think that's why we miss it, is because we're looking for someone who's, who's going to be kind of this knight in shining armor, and, and he's going to look like us, he's going to talk like us, he's going to act like us, he's going to speak like us, he's going to sing like us, he's going to worship just like us. And we get so caught up in doing our own forms of religion that we, that we need to repent because we miss the heart of the king. Christ is our only hope for peace. That means rejoice, certainly. It means repent. But it also means resting as well. Because this same Jesus that John chapter 11 tells us has a death warrant out for him. This same Jesus that knows he will be crucified, that knows he'll be mistreated, that knows he'll be flogged, that knows he'll be deserted by his disciples, that knows that his his people will fail to see it because they're too busy with life, too busy with religion. This same Jesus knew it all and still he went. 
You can rest in the only person that can bring you peace because Jesus knew it all about you. He, knew, he knows the very deepest, darkest moments in your life, the things that we do in secret that we think no one else sees, the recesses of our hearts that we've stuffed down in ways that we, we hope never see the light of the day. And he knows those things, and he knew them as he hung on the cross. And he hung on the cross because those things were true about you and about me. And that's radical love. And the only way we're going to begin to get a sense of how we love like that is if we look at a God who gave up his own to save the ones he loved. I heard a story uh, some time ago told of a a man who lived in a village uh, that was destroyed by the great tsunami now occurred over a decade ago. The man was a farmer and he lived above the village. And he was out in his fields that day and he saw the water recede quickly and he knew what it meant. It was only recoiling as if to set its springs to load for the strike that was to come. What would he do? How would he warn the people below? What was he going to do? All of his friends and his families, his loved ones, they were down in the village. How was he going to to warn them? What would he do? You know what he did? He set his fields on fire. He set his fields on fire so the people below saw the blaze and came running. He gave up his own to save the ones he loved. And that's radical love. And when we begin to taste that, when we begin to get a sense of what Christ really did, then we can have the freedom to rejoice in the things that he's doing even though we don't see them all quite laid out just perfectly. But we know that he's at work. We can repent in the things that wound the very heart of our king knowing that he knows those things and is not afraid of you coming to him and saying, I'm a desperately wicked man, woman. And we can rest in the Savior, giving him our lives completely. And as we begin to know that radical love, that kind of love, friends, that's when we begin to change our families and our streets and our neighborhoods and our cities and the world through God who is our only hope for peace. Pray with me. King Jesus, you are our only hope. You are our only good. You are 
our rock and salvation, and we're desperate for you. Lord, if we don't see your love, we'll never know what it's like to be able to love like that. Lord, I pray that you would do your work in my heart and in these dear friends' hearts as well. That you would call those to yourself. That you would strengthen us in the fight. And that you would teach us not to rely on strategy or social justice or mercy, though those things are all good things but to rely completely on the one who gave his life so that we might live. Even Jesus, our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.